Well, welcome. Glad you guys are tuning in and that you're with us uh, this morning. If you um, have been with us, you already know. And if you haven't, let me tell you, we're in the middle of a sermon series where we're looking at the Old Testament book, the book of Jonah. And we've already done uh, two chapters. And the two chapters we've done are the two chapters that most people know, because they're about Jonah's time interacting and all the stuff regarding the fish, or depending on what, where you went to church as a child, the well. But, um, but we've got two more chapters to go. And there are some scholars who say the meat of this book is really in the last two chapters. And my experience has been most people don't even know what's in the last two chapters. They only know about the story of the fish. So stay with us. Uh, we're going to pick up today with chapter 3. And we're going to go to some other places beyond after all this experience with the fish. But I want to start, if you're new with us, I want to start by first giving just a really quick review of where we've been. And part of the reason I want to do this is because you're going to hear a little bit of an echo of part of this when we get to chapter 3 today. And the very beginning place of this is with the first chapter, the very first chapter, very first verse of Jonah. It starts out saying, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. That's what God says to, um, to Jonah. And Jonah's um, response after hearing this call from God saying, go, is where he basically says no. And in fact, he goes down to Joppa and gets on a ship headed the other direction toward Tarshish, 2,000 plus miles away. And he's just headed completely in the wrong direction. And God sort of intervenes in this scene and says, this is too important to let this just go away. So he raises up this storm. The ship is rocked and torn. It's like it's going to break up. The captain goes down and wakes up Jonah, who's sleeping in the bottom of the boat, and says, man, we're all praying to our gods now. You need to get up and pray to your God because you're a prophet. And up to this time, he's not prayed at all. But now he, they're engaging him, saying you need to do this. And to Jonah's credit, he owns what's happened. Like he says, look, here's what's going on. God gave me his call. I've run from it, all the things. And he says, what you guys need to do if you're going to survive is you need to pick me up and throw me over. And they're like, ooh, no, we're not going to do that. But then after it gets a little bit worse, they're like, okay, well, sorry, forgive us, but we need to do this. And they throw him over. And then God has this fish. That's all we know. You can call it a whale, but it's a fish that comes and swallows him. That's chapter one. That's how chapter one ends. And then chapter two is this beautiful chapter we talked about last week. That's like, it's called the Psalm of Jonah by some, but it's this prayer of repentance that takes place inside the belly of the fish. And you get this sense that all through chapter one, things are just descending and going down into this pit. And as Jonah repents, there's this lifting up. And probably the key verse that takes place in all of that is, is like right at the start where he says, I called to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. I called out of my distress and he answered me. And that's what, that's what we unpacked last week. That's what's going on in that chapter. And the very final verse that we had last week was after he does his prayer of repentance and does all this, the fish vomits him, as the message translation says, onto the beach. That's where we pick up today as we head into chapter 3. And the, the very first verse of chapter 3 starts out by saying, 
the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. That's the first verse. Full stop. It came to Jonah a second time. And Jonah didn't deserve it, right? Jonah not only like kind of ignored it, he actively said no and went the opposite direction. And through all the stuff that's happened, God's come back a second time. And I'm going to say this throughout the whole sermon today, but, but I just want to keep stopping and celebrating, as our title of the sermon today suggests, that we have a God of second chances. And more than that, as I'll say in a few minutes, but he gives Jonah a second chance. He gives him a second chance. And then so we get, it goes on from there. And this is the part that maybe will begin to sound like an echo from what we read a few minutes ago. But he says to him, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I'll tell you. The God tells him, get up and go and go now. Like, like this is emphatically like, get up and go right now. Get up and don't waste any time. Get up and do it. And I wonder for us, when we, I mean, even apart from a second chance, when God is calling out to us, do we answer immediately? Because if we don't, I think sometimes we can talk ourselves out of it. We can begin to think about all the reasons maybe why that's not a good idea. But I think God's Holy Spirit works in us. And when you get that nudge that says, reach out to your friend, the, the nudge that says to write that note to somebody, make that phone call, or the nudge that says, mm, maybe it's t- we need to repent on that thing, or whatever it is. There are all kinds of ways I think God's Holy Spirit works with us and nudges us and moves us and does these things if we're willing to do it. And with this, we would say, don't waste time. Act on it. Do it immediately. And Jonah has got his second chance And Jonah is going to do it. He acts on it immediately. And I think it's interesting when it says, the the call to him um, tells him to go to that great city. And we start to think, well, we've already heard what a wicked place that was, right? It was a wicked city. It was known for being a place where horrible things happened, where innocent people were tortured, all these different kinds of things where people were killed innocently. All these different horrible things take place there. It's, this, it's the capital of, of, the, of Assyria at the time. Why is it called great? Well, it's great in its power, right? It's, the, it's this huge city by these ancient standards. Like scholars today say 120,000 people live there, something like that. The wall around it said to be like seven and a half miles or something like that. It's the epicenter of culture. It's all of this stuff. So it is this great city. And God is telling Jonah now, who's much more ready now to be obedient, he's telling him more or less to go to these people that he despises and give them this message that at the end of the day is a message really of hope. And if you go and, and you look at it, um, the next thing it says in verse 3, what happens? It says, so Jonah set out and he went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. That's what, how the RSV says it. And I think it's one of these moments where we stop and pause for a second because Jonah got it right at this point. He didn't get it right the first time. But the second time, God gives him a second chance, and he gets it right. 
he goes just like God calls him to. And I think for us, you know, we want to hear that voice from God and be in the place where Jonah is now. That when God says go, we go. When God says love, we love. When God says do this, we, we do it. We lean into what he has for us and, and go to that place. And certainly Jonah does that on his second go. He leans into it and, and goes to that place. And then we get to the, um, the fourth verse. And this is what it says. You're wondering about some of this. He says, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, 40 days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This word that he uses where he says that Jonah began, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but the things I read say that the word that's behind that is not just simply a translation that says begin or he began, but it's, it involves some kind of untying, unraveling, a letting go of stuff in order to go there. And here's the, one of the thoughts I, I, that I want to leave with. I have a number of thoughts I want to leave you with this week. But one of those thoughts is this, like God calls every Christian, everybody who's baptized and who comes to God and open saying, I want, to be, I want to serve you. God has a call on you and on your life. God has things he wants you to do. God's Holy Spirit will lead and direct you and guide you. But I think just like Jonah, that same word, it involves us at some level letting go of some things unraveling, untying in order to go and to be open to go do these things. And there's all these things, I kind of mentioned this last week, there's all these things we want to hold on to. The first and foremost of which I think at some level we all struggle with is just wanting to hold on to our self-will. Life's about me. It's what I want. And if I can work God in as a hobby, I'll do it. And there's this whole letting go. Maybe that's the whole act of surrender, of letting go of that self will, self-love, and, and putting God in that place. Or maybe it's the financial piece, because our society tells us again and again that your worth and your success is about money. And that's not from Scripture, and that's not God's way. But we can hold on to that, and we can say, well, God, I, I hear what you might be saying to me, but you know what? Let's come back to that when I'm retired, or let's do that later, because I need this financial security, or whatever else it is. Or, or maybe it's our reputation, I've got a friend of mine who is an investment banker, and I remember when God really grabbed him and took a hold of him, and um, he ultimately is in, today I'll tell you, he's in a place of ministry, not ordained, but he's in a place of ministry. But that whole progression that even his family, his mom is telling him, like, what's wrong with you? Like, what's going on with you? Like, you're taking this stuff too seriously. But he was letting go and letting God. And if he were here, I know he would tell you, how fulfilling that journey's been to lean into what God has for him. But what is it that we hold on to? What is it that puts us in that place? I don't know. Something for us to ponder. But Jonah, whatever it is, he lets go. Last week when we talked about chapter 2, he talks about, about idols. And I wonder if these are various kinds of idols that he's letting go of in order to go and pursue God. And then we turn and he, he answers and he's, he's letting go of all that. And he's doing it. And now he's going to lean into exactly what God's called him to do. He's going to go and preach to the Ninevites. And I wonder what he's thinking at this point. What am I going to preach to these people? These are people that are wicked. This is this, everybody knows, this is this place where all these horrible things happen. And I'm thinking, I don't, 
I don't know what Mary or Greg would do, but if you were told you're going to go preach to these horrible Ninevites, I'm thinking I might reach out and grab my most Joel Osteen-like sermon I've got. I want people to be happy. I don't want people to string me up somewhere. But that's not what happens, right? Because part of this leaning into what God has for him is that God's going to give him the, the message about what he's supposed to say and what he's supposed to do. And at the end of the day, he, he, he has a very hard message, right, that, he, that he's going to preach. Because he says, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That is a very short, very direct, very hard, and probably a very offensive sermon to preach. And that's what he preaches. And this phrase where he says, 40 days more, and this place, Nineveh, is going to be overturned. Apparently, in Hebrew, that word overturned is one that it can have a couple meanings. One of which is destruction. And the other one means like a complete change. So it's kind of like the message that he's being called to preach to them is like, you know, 40 days from now, it's either going to be destruction or it's going to be, you're going to be in a completely new place. It's going to be a complete new change. That's what he preaches. And listen to what um, happens next. In um, verse 5, it says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast. And everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. It's this uh, incredibly hard moment to believe that these people who are known throughout the, um, the area and the region and whatever their fame is about how bad they are, and that even God, as he talks about how the wickedness of this place has come up to him, and he's doing something about it, and these people are repenting and going to there, like, how's that going on? Like, it's an amazing thing. And I think it's hard for people to believe this when they hear this. Did you hear this? The Ninevites have repented? I mean, I think it's like the most incredulous kinds of things. You know, one of the greatest audiovisual catastrophes that we can have in here is if somehow my, my microphone is not on, or sorry, is on when we're singing, because I don't have any kind of ability to hold it. I mean, like, it's horrible. Justin knows this. We had, we had one, one time where we recorded this thing, and my mic was on, and I think I destroyed the whole, the whole recording. But, uh, but what, if it came, what if it came out now that, have you heard? Bob Johnston can sing now and has a recording contract? I know Justin would be like, Lord, in mercy, there's miracles. That's what this thing is like. This is like no one believes this can happen. But it happens. They repent. And they not only repent, but we get these words that they are, they're now fasting, which is like this um, symbolic act that they're doing of humility and repentance. And, and they're putting on the sackcloth, which is like this itchy, goat-haired kind of clothes that they're putting on that is, again, a symbol and an act and a proclamation of how hard we're repenting. And I'm not going to go through all of the next three verses, but verses 6 through 9 this message ultimately finds its way to the royal palace, and the king hears it, and the king lean, leans into it and makes this proclamation. I'm in it. We're all in it. We're all going to repent. You know what? If we lean into this hard enough, maybe God's going to change his mind. So they have this wicked people. They've done all these terrible things. It's this huge city, 120,000 people, whatever it is. This one prophet, second chance, finally goes preaches this really hard sermon, 
And they repent. Top to bottom, they repent. They all repent. And then we get down to the very final um, verse, verse 10. And it says this. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Now, I wish I could say their repentance lasted, but if you know history, it didn't. But this moment where God sees their repentance and he has compassion on them. He has compassion, love and mercy and grace for them. He gives them a second chance. He doesn't destroy them the way that was built into part of that message. He shows them love. He gives them a second chance. Well, as we, as we kind of think about this chapter now and just reflect on the whole chapter, that was the final verse, I want to stop and just think about it for a minute. Verse 1, we hear about Jonah who went the wrong direction completely, headed the other, opposite direction, doesn't pray, doesn't do all this. This passage starts out with God rewinding the clock and coming to him again. Second chance. Go and do this. And now he does. And we get this, as we go along, we get this image of Nineveh, this evil, you know, wicked place. And God gives them a second chance. He doesn't just show up to destroy them. He gives them a second chance. They, and they take it. They repent. And they go with it. And I want to suggest this chapter in part is teaching us that the God we follow is a God of second chances. And I think it's not just that, right? That it's, it calls us as a God followers to be a people about second chances. And this calls us, I think, to be um, strong at times, to be countercultural at times, which I don't really like particularly saying, because we live in a culture today where this cancel me culture is just continues to grow in all kinds of ways. We live in a society where many people do never want to give people a second chance. Oh, you messed that up so badly, we're done with you. I don't want to ever see you again. I don't want you in a TV program. I don't want you to be a comedian anymore. You're canceled. Zero worth. And we may want to jump on that bandwagon because the stuff people do is really wrong. And maybe that feels good. But we have a God of second chances who never gives up on people, who always sees their humanity and their worth and their best and what they can be and their potential and their hope and all these different kinds of things. And we don't need to jump on that bandwagon. We need to be a people that says, that keeps saying again and again, God sees your worth and your value for just the way you're, you're made. You're made in his image. And there's basically almost nothing you can do that will ever destroy that. We need to be a people that hold that up. We have a God of second chances. And I love hearing stories about this. There's a story a number of years ago that really caught my eye. And I've, I've told this story before, and I'm gonna, I want to repeat it again today. But there was a national newspaper about four or five years ago that ran an article. And it, it caught my eye. And it was, it was about a church that's in Hawaii that's called Blue Water Mission. And part of this mission in Hawaii, the Blue Water Mission, they opened up a restaurant. And the reason they opened up this restaurant was because they wanted to be able to hire people and give people second chances that society wasn't really 
helping or that was too hard or needed a lot of hand-holding to get them into these positions. And the article in, in particular focused in on one woman. And um, her name was Mary Wilson. And, um, I'm sorry, Mary Nelson. Mary Nelson was a 53-year-old woman. And when she was 14 years old, she lived in New York City. And her mom died under really tragic, terrible circumstances. And she found herself out on the street at age 14. And she made a living on the street in the oldest profession, as they say. And she did this for four more years. And she said to herself, I've got to get out of this. So she found a way to go from New York to Hawaii to try to start a new life. But she didn't get away from it because pretty soon she found herself back doing the exact same thing she had done in New York City. And this went on for like 30 years. And then when she got into her 50s, she connected with this church that was all about second chances and about God's grace and love and mercy and new beginnings. And they began to work with her and to love on her. And she finally accepted a job at this place, the seed. But she's, the first six months, she said, I don't want to do anything but be in the kitchen washing the dishes because I don't want to be near the good people. Because her whole life, she'd been around people, but they were the bad people because they were with her. And now there were good people out front. And she said, I don't want to be near the good people. I'm going to be in the back washing the dishes. And after about six months of that church loving on her and helping her to appreciate her worth and who she was, she made that move to the front and to start helping people in the front. And part of this article, she goes on to say about how meaningful it was to, to make that move. And Nelson said, I get to be the person I was never able to be. The church was helping her to get a second chance. That's the kind of God we have. We have a God who's about second chances third chances, fourth chances. In fact, God never gives up on us. Doesn't matter what we've done. And I know for me, I cannot count how many times God has given me chances. I wouldn't be here if he hadn't. He never gives up on us and he keeps reaching out to us and loving us and calling us and pursuing us. And I know there are people watching today who need to hear that. I need to hear that. That's the kind of God we have the God who loves us and gives us second chances and pursues us. And I hope and pray like Jonah that we'll receive it and go immediately where he calls us and, and find exactly what he's asking us to lean into. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us. Doesn't matter where we've been. Doesn't matter what we've done. That You have grace. You give us second chances, third chances, fourth chances. You call us, you beckon us to come find a life that flourishes in you. By your spirit, help us to receive that and to live it and to share it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.